2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Jam-packed episode tonight here on Gators Breakdown, interview with Ben Troop that's been recorded and i will play that for you guys here uh there will be a little audio hiccup in there but uh, we, we got it all figured out uh just there'll be just just a little hit in there so you, you'll know where it is internet skips around just a little bit but that's what we got going on here uh this episode ben troop dives in talks about his new book um we'll give you all the info for that and we'll dive into the espn fpi a little bit i know I'm a little torn on that thing. There's some good things in there for the Gators, uh, as far as ESPN's FPI. Uh, I know initially when it came out, there were a lot of questions, and even ESPN admitted they had messed up because they even had like Mississippi State in the top ten or something like that. Then they had to uh, need to redo their formula. Uh, for the ESPN FPI. So uh, that's what was done. Uh, They re-released it. I've been meaning to get to it a little bit, but with the season kicking off, we've had plenty, plenty of content to get into on the football side of things. Uh, We kind of caught up on a lot of the press conferences uh, so far. Uh, Right now, this week, anyway, uh, I believe we'll hear from the DB coaches this week, McGriff and Montanar. Uh, And if you're listening or watching live on YouTube right now, I know that they'll be getting ready to do the, uh, listen, McGriff will be meeting the uh, media here on Tuesday night um, there. So later on this week, we'll have, uh, we'll probably be, you know, we'll wrap up, wrap up the uh, assistant coaches uh, talking to the media uh, while fall camp is going on. So last week of fall camp. Game prep starts next week for the Gadgets for FAU. So plenty, plenty to get into. Uh coming up on Gators Breakdown season starts. That's my wheelhouse. That's where we uh that's where we get really going. Uh I know I've been pumping out a lot of stuff anyway, but can't wait to actually talk some actual football, talk some actual games uh with you guys. Will Miles will jump on. Later on, uh, after the Ben Troop interview, um, you know, we'll get uh, we'll dive into his article just a little bit too. You know, the theme of this episode is the ESPN's FPI and how they see Florida impacting the college football college football playoff race. But Will Miles uh, had a really nice article, uh, you know, about Anthony Richardson, his um, maybe ability to start if he has to. Uh, you know, will he be ready? So, really, really good article there from Will. Um, he put out there earlier. This week, and uh, of course, you know, before we start this interview uh, here, you know, Ben Troop, thank you know thank him enough. I can't thank him enough for joining us here on Gators Breakdown. You can pre-order his book, Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben Troop Story, at bentroop84.com. That's bentroop84.com. Here we are with Gator legend tied in Ben Troop. Ben Season's about to kick off, but uh, you're busy elsewhere, away from the game of football just a little bit. I, I guess we can consider this away from football, but it does have to do a lot with football. But, man, you got a new book coming out, Uncommon and Unfinished, a Ben Troop story. You and B.J. Bennett there, you know, up there at ESPN Coastal, uh, one of your cohorts up there, uh, got together, put this book out. Uh, what, what, uh, what, uh, what led you to actually make this book in the first place? Oh, man, finally had the time. Uh, 2020 was uh,
1: different for everybody. Uh, they, you know, shut the world down. I mean, obviously, being in media, we had to figure out how are we going to coexist during these uh, during these unforeseen times. And uh, me and BJ Bennett met each other about, man, God, oh, what do you want to tell me? We met about 20, 2008, 2009, and uh, he introduced radio to me, and I didn't know he was a writer at the time. And, you know, the friendship kind of built. And He got to talk to me about writing a book, writing a book, writing a book, ever I, haven't, I haven't thought about it. And the younger you are, you say yes to everything because you don't really know what goes into it. And then fast forward, 2017, uh, I was coming on this show. I, they call it Truth Talk. Coming on this show every Wednesday for, like, man, almost 10 years straight, like, like clockwork, every Wednesday, Truth Talk, every Wednesday. Got hired in 2017 and really got to know BJ on a more personal level, working with him every single day. And he really said, hey, man, we need to put this book out. And we went through a lot of different names, a lot of different concepts, how we're going to do it. And 2020, Andre uh, Jarma, a guy I met um, at East Georgia State College when I was going to kick off my uh, my Uncommon Speaking Tour at East Georgia State College in Swainsboro. He was the guy that was my, uh, he was kind of like my uh, person on campus, my liaison on campus, if you want to call it. Met me one time, told him about the book. He gave me his book. I read his book and he said, hey, man, I came with a title, Uncommon and Unfinished. And that's how the title came about. And then me and BJ, man, chapter one became chapter two, chapter two became chapter three. Uh, Timothy Bond up there at True Vine Publishing in Nashville, Tennessee, blessed me by helping me uh, actually publish my first children's book, Judy and John, at judyandjohn.com. He told me the whole process. And they, I will say this. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for authors because it's not the writing process, it's the editing process. The editing mm-hmm. process is, is longer than the writing because... You want to give everybody just dues. If Denise is spelled D-E-N-I-S-E, not D-I-N-E-S-E, you want to make sure, because those little things is going to matter. But when Timothy Bond reached out to me, said, Ben, congratulations, the book is done, I was like, oh, my freaking God, thank you. Because it's like, (laughs) this thing was so pivotal. But super-duper proud of the project. Super-duper proud of BJ. We went, Man, BJ has sent me a rough draft, 2 o'clock in the freaking morning, man. I'm like, look, and then text me the next morning, like why I didn't get back to him like, man, I'm sleep, man. Jesus Christ. But I, I enjoyed it because it showed me how diligent we were, how structured we were. And uh I think that people are gonna be pleasantly surprised. Obviously, it's gonna have the usual suspects of the Ron Zooks and the Steve Spurriers and the Florida Gators and the Tennessee Titans, but it's gonna be a lot of people in this book that have no idea. They're gonna be reading the book and they're gonna see their name flash up. They're gonna be like, wait a minute, <laughs> I mean, you know how it is, Dave, it's not the people that don't think they are making an impact on your life that's making the biggest impact. You know, I got teammates on there that have no clue. That tight end room from you know, from the auto from the uh you know, from guys like, you know, Aaron Walker and Benny Wells and you know, from guys like uh, you know, Ben Harpstock and Bo and Bo Scaife and Ben Hall and uh you know, Jamie Petrovsky and Gun and Greg Gunther and you know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, man, it's just it, David Carpenter, you know, DC, you know, and those guys, David Kenner. So it's it's Aaron Kenner. So it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. A lot of different stories within one story, but I'm very, very proud of the project. Very, you know, uh, appreciate BJ, appreciate Entree Drama, appreciate everybody that has something to do with it. But I mean, yeah, man, go ahead, you know, yeah. It's all right there, man. Pre-order that, you know, at bentroop84.com. I'm coming on the ben story with B.J. Bennett, man. Everybody has a story, and this is mine. And the only thing unique about my story, Dave, is that I'm willing to tell it. No more, no less. It's going to be some 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 trials and tribulations, some ups and downs. But uh, I was able to put it all in there in 213 words, and I think whoever gets the book is going to be pleasantly surprised.
2: 213 pages, I hope you meant, not words.
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, BJ, yeah, 213 pages and not words, yes. I mean, BJ, <laughs> BJ can write, listen, to all my uh, professors, the English teachers, I mean, I apologize to y'all, I had no clue. Where <laughs> the statements, interrogative statements, semicolons, commas, periods, exclamation point, adjectives, ever. hey, I, I get it now. So when I first got to college and I gave my English professor a, a paper, and they gave it back to me in red ink. I Know what they meant now, but thank god that BJ is a writer. And the goal behind this book was really just to introduce myself in a different way. I do want to write other books, but I didn't want my first book to be about something different. I'm gonna give you me first, and then hopefully, I'll give you what's on my mind in the years to come.
2: Then, one thing, th- just let our gator for the Gator side of it, the Florida side of it. I mean, look, we know that's gonna be a big part of it. You got orange and blue on the cover there, so that's the it. It didn't Not start good. out that way. Uh, yeah, the colors was actually. Oh my freaking God, it was a
1: white cover and it had red and black letters. I said, Oh no, that's that that's that's <laughs> not happening. But mind you, the the it, it was it wasn't intentional, right? Yeah. It wasn't intentional. Uh that was my uh publisher, Tim Bond. I said, Tim, we got to change them colors, man. Ain't no way I'm gonna have no red and black. <laughs> there ain't no way. But uh yeah, man, my first book, man. Hey man, I mean, I think Gator fans, they're gonna really enjoy. It. I mean. I mean, t- learning about Spurrier in a different way, learning about Zook in a different way, uh, learning about Thaddeus Bullock, aka Titus O'Neil, like he's in the book, and it's a lot, man. Learning about you know where I got my philanthropic, you know, uh, uh, you know, like you know, like uh, love of uh, just doing for people, serving people, volunteering for people, all that stuff, man. It's a roller coaster ride, man. It really, really is, but. It's hard to try to really – I could tell a story on the locker room alone, which I wouldn't because I don't want nobody you know, telling my locker room story. But uh, I think I did my due diligence, man, because I didn't paint myself out to be no hero. I didn't make myself look good. I was really saying thank you to the people, places, and things that helped groom me. It's, you know, people always want to talk to me. where it's been at? Take a picture with me. Get an autograph of me. And that got my family. That got my friends in the, in, the, in the background. This is me pulling them in front of me saying, no, man, I'm nothing without them teammates, coaches, trainers, equipment, man, piece of bill, Tim Sane, Mike Speed, Ashley Bowman, the people upstairs, you know, the people that mo- you know, Jamie and those guys, Dr. C, uh, miss, Ma- you know, uh, miss green, miss, miss Mary Hughes. It's, it's the whole thing, man. So, Hey man, it's, it's, you know, and I'm talking trash about the Bulldogs. Absolutely. They, they, they spare no expense talking trash about them. They spare no, but no, man, it's, uh, it's, it's so rewarding because I feel as though the chapter of my life is over now because I put it in pages. So now I can move on to something else. But uh I got to tell my mom, dad, sister, brother's story within mine, encapsulated in mine. So, uh hey, man, I said I want to do other books, Dave. But if I don't do any more books, I if I ever do if this is my only book, I man, I'm super duper proud of it, man. I really, really am, because like I said. Never saw myself doing media, going to Florida, playing on NFL. So let's just add this to the palette, man. People think I could do anything, but I said, no, it's not me doing it, it's the people around me. BJ Bennett, without him writing it. Cause I, I type in how much a ghostwriter is. I said, Oh no, I would have never did no book. Man, uh-huh. ghostwriter off a grip. But no, man, I'm I'm throwing my hat in the ring for authors and hopefully other my former teammates, former, you know, hopefully they'll see it. They'll write it. Cause I want to read their story. Major Wright, got his book, right? Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I wanna I wanna be a part of that, man. I want to be a part of the authors that's coming through University of Florida, man. And hopefully some of my former teammates, both pro and college, are, are learning a different side of me. And hopefully the man they'll they'll want to put their stories out. I know that I know that my old teammate, I think Kelvin Kite, I think he's running for office or something up there in you know in Georgia up there like Stone Ridge. So hey man, he's gonna be on the ballot. So I'm I'm just I'm just excited to see like where we end up, you know, past our playing days.
2: Awesome, awesome. One more time. Pre order. Ben Troop's book, Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story at Bentroop84.com. Ben, let's talk some football. Let's talk these gators just a little bit. Yes, sir. Season's about to kick off, man. We're all getting ready for it. I mean, look, we gotta look at tight end. Uh, that's the yeah. position yeah. you play. That's one of the biggest yes. questions for the for this gator team coming into this season. I mean, of course, you're not gonna replace Kyle no. Pitts and what he brought to the table. One person cannot do that. It might be a group effort if Florida's going to get close to doing some of those same things that Kyle Pitts did. What what, what do you take from uh, Keon Zipperer last year, Kamori Gamble, what you saw from that group last year, and apply it to the 2021 season? Uh, enthusiasm. I think Gamble is a guy that plays the, the tight end position
1: the right way because of his mentality. Gamble doesn't like guys on opposing teams. I mean, it showed it. I mean, he plays with an edge. He plays. He, I mean, he plays mean. Zipper, man, I think he's that U tight end that you can move around. And I think you kind of got a glimpse of what both of those guys could do in the Florida Georgia game when um, mm-hmm. when Kyle Pitts got hurt. But both guys, both guys can both do you know well in line blocking. I like what I like what I like what uh, I like what Gamble said when asked, man. You know, you got a chance to be the best time in the SEC. He said, man, I'm the best time in the country. I don't know oh, you get the SEC. I like I like, and then you got young guys. You know, you got young guys in the room. You know, uh, you know, like uh, I can't. L say, I can't even say I can't. The new A <laughs> four. Uh, I, I I like the room compared to one player because you know how it is, David. If it's one player, it's so much pressure on him to perform. No, you got a whole room that can hurt you. 12 personnel could be a freaking asset this year. When you're talking about with the elimination of the fullback in college football as a whole. So if you got Zipper and Gamble on the field at the same time to go along with Copeland, to go along with, you know what I'm saying, Henderson, to go along with Shorter and those guys, I think that that's what's going to make it because I think by having – Two guys on the field that can hurt you in the running game, and the passing game, especially when you got a retooled offensive line. And we're gonna have to run the football this year. I don't think we're gonna get away with it from uh, years, of, you know, uh, previous years. But no, I like the role, man. I like the mentality. I like the standard that Kyle Pitts set. He set a standard that might not be met, might not be met individually, but, yeah. but collectively. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, Kyle Pitts is something I've never seen. Jesus Christ, this kid. Good. I mean. When he got drafted, uh University of Florida, you know, Kevin Camps and those guys reached out to me to do the uh voiceover, super duper humble by those guys. Always want to do a voiceover. And I asked, I shouldn't have asked. I say man, um, just by I said, just you know, just by curiosity, man, when was Kyle Pitts born? It was like he was born in 2000. I was like, I got to college in 2000. All right, I shouldn't have asked. All right, never mind. Let's just let's just let's just focus. But no, man, I, I think the tight end position, I know you hear this a lot. Tight end position is bad at Florida because of the pressure that's on. it. You can't – people are going to expect the tight end position to be, uh, you know, like uh, a weapon, a focal point, a beneficial point of this offense. And like I said, you don't have to be – man, I don't think you got to do 200 or something yards and four touchdowns in one game like Kyle Pitts. But we wouldn't be mad if you did that. I mean, mm-hmm. the one thing that this offense is going to need, they're going to need a utility player. They're going to need that, that that Swiss Army knife. And I think that's what the tight ends are. They can block in the backfield. They can pick up the blitz. They got the run block. They got to go out there and get open. They got they got to make impact plays when they're not touching the football. So if you're playing tight end in Florida now, outside of the offensive numbers, Hey man, you got to make a team impact. So I'm 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 super duper happy for those guys. But Gamble, I just love the way he plays, man. He plays again. And his mom, Mama Gamble, she's gonna be at every game. I don't care if Florida plays on the moon, she's gonna beat us. So shout out to Mama Gamble. But uh nah, I'm really, really excited for these guys. I think Kyle Pitt showed that you could be a team player by also being a star player. Cause he was both, right? He was a star, but he didn't deviate from the team. It wasn't look at me, it's just hey man, I'm when they put it in the air's mind. So I think he brought that that you know that dog mentality. Uh you know, no pun intended to them guys up there in Athens. But I, I just think that the tight end position is back. And it's better to have a room. If the guy behind me isn't good enough to take my spot, then I'm not playing as hard as I could. But zipper can play over gamble. He's 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 good enough to do it. So they're gonna push each other, and you got some young guys bringing up the rear, man. That's gonna make it even better. So hey man, just like just like Emory Jones waited behind Trash, waited behind Franks, and learned the position. I think by Gamble and Zipper, and those guys seeing a four do it. Oh man, it's only gonna make them play even much better.
2: Ben, you brought up Nick Elksness, and you know he's a true freshman tight end coming in. We heard his name in the spring. We've heard his name even more in the fall. Not so much about that tight end position's changed, Ben. Uh, and you know you got a true freshman right now making waves uh, with his name. How hard is it to come in as a true freshman? uh and, and make your name for yourself at that tight end position especially in the SEC where you know you're going against linebackers and corners and, and defensive ends that may hit you coming off the line and all that uh you know there's a lot that goes into that position for a true freshman to come in and make an impact. It's rare. It's it's rare period because that
1: means that number one, you can pick up the terminology, right? You can pick up the speed and your 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 skill set really translates from high school to college like that. That's that's hard. But I think what's different now in Florida, man, is what you've seen. You like, dude, like, okay. So let me get this straight. I had a tight end that won the Mackey, first team All American his junior year. He wasn't even a Mackey Award finalist his sophomore year, and he was just as good that year. But was on the Maxwell Award for the, you know, for the the best player in the country. Was on the Blitnikov list. Uh, I, I think got a Heisman Trophy vote this year. So I think that it's a good pressure and. If you get out there with a true freshman and tight it out, dude, you got to be legit, legit. That means that you get, can't nobody cover you in practice. You picking up, you picking up the offense in a way that you don't look like a fr- Hey, now certain guys can do it. I, I was not one of those guys. I was not one of those guys that picked it up. And you understand the concept of how my talent individually helps the team collectively. Like how do I fit in this puzzle? So, if you can find a way to go out there and do it, and you're not a one-trick pony, I, I, I compare it to Tebow. When Tebow first got to college, he was a one-trick pony. He wasn't ready to throw the football. That's why they brought him in for that, for those, you know, uh, for those packages, those run packages. Now, for what they brought him in for, he was incredible. So when people go back to 2006, they won a natty because you had Chris Leak as the starter and Tim Tebow as a closer. It, it, now, if it was the other way around, it wouldn't have worked. But, so if you're a freshman, Man, maybe you find a niche for yourself, man. If you can find a niche for yourself, and maybe you a great screen guy, maybe you a great, maybe you great at getting getting first downs on third down. Maybe you great at moving the chains. That's a way to kind of get your name out there. But as far as like coming in, starting every single play from day one, oh man, you you a freaking unicorn because that's not something mm-hmm. that happens. If, if it does, I'm happy for him. But just so many things that go on from the speed and 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 the and the and the, and the, and the freaking. Uh, you know, uh, physicality, the terminology, it's a lot to put on one per, cause they still students, right? They are still trying to navigate college in a social media driven world to where every single thing they do is criticized, you know, you're giving feedback. So if they can handle everything that comes with it, so be it. But if but gambling zipper and those guys, they like, look, man, you you are supremely talented. But dude, I want to play here. I don't want to be a guy that came to Florida and waited my time and never played. So Waiting your time in Florida is a good thing because it shows you that you gotta earn your stripes, you gotta earn, you know, you gotta earn your keep every single day. And man, just because you signed in Florida, don't mean you earned the right to play there.
2: Uh Ben, give me your biggest question on offense, biggest question on defense for this team, man, and, and what you're looking for in Florida. Answering those questions.
1: Biggest question on all, biggest question on offense is the same the last three years, man. Can we establish the run game? It's it's the fact that Dan Muller has had the success he's had, and we haven't ran the ball at all. No, 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 forget that. We haven't even attempted to run it. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Like the mere fact that we're going to New Year's six bowls year in and year out with no run games proves just the greatness of play play calling from Dan Butler. So it's is, Can we run the football and create balance for a Emory Jones that's going to need it? We're not going to be having 400 yards passing anymore. It's going to be you know, 200 and some yards passing, another 80 some yards rushing, spreading the ball around while also averaging, you know, well over around 200. If you can average around 200 yards rushing a game, that takes so much stress off the offensive line. That takes so much stress off them receivers and quarterbacks. So I think it's – and on defense, I mean, I, I hate to say this, man. You know, it's just our mentality. I, I'm not going to do that, can we get lined up. Can we get lined up? Come on, man. It's – what do you want your legacy to be? It's, it's when Brandon Spikes met Ventrell Miller and Brandon Spikes told Ventrell Miller, man, you ain't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to I want to paraphrase what he said, but it's like, dude, y'all shouldn't be comfortable walking around the way y'all do, the way y'all played last year. Like, what type of legacy do you want to leave at Florida? Seriously, because that's what you're playing for. You at the University of Florida. So if you play linebacker, you can compare it to Brandon Spikes and Byron Harmon and Andre, and Andre Davis and, 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 and Channing Crowder and, you know, and Mike Lattiel. If you play safety, you can compare to Reggie Nelson, you know, and a and, and Major Wright and Ahmad Hall and Gus Scott and Ty John. You play cornerback. I know, they, I know they got a I know they got Kyrie Elam. I know he's gonna be the star. Do you want to be a star based on potential, or do you want to put your name on there with Vernon Harbrains and Kewan Ratliff and you know, uh, and Joe Hayden? So I think for me, it's it's what are you playing for, man? You got to you got to answer that question because I don't want to hear about Grantham. I don't want to hear about <clears throat> excuse me fourth and Grantham and all the nonsense is, man, do you just like being here or do you want to be a reason why we it? Cause I mean, I hate to say this. If we play halfway decent defense last year, we don't lose. Mm-hmm. Like we really don't lose a game and that's got to bother you. So on offense is listen. Can we run the football? And on defense, man, you know, what is your why? Like, what 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 are you playing for? Because I'm never ever gonna blame a coach something the player controls, and the players control the X and the O's, and maybe if we can get past this NHL way of sub, and we the only team of sub eight guys I'm like, did you just sub eight guys in the game? <laughs> Come on, man, like that's ridiculous. So get down, get back, get back to just the X and O's and understand, man. When I walk out of this thing, do I want to look up and say, man, I was I was amongst one of the greatest to ever do it? Or was I just feeling a because I was, I was a senior and, you know, I just knew the defense better than anybody else?
2: Ben, last thing before I let you go. All right, man, you got you to envision this now. And your, your book Your book might be part of this a, a little bit too. <laughs> but, all right, Dan Mullen, he invites you to campus. Florida's about to play a big game. I need a quick motivational speech to get the season going. Wow, man, a quick motivational speech to get the season going. Uh, you got you got I mean you got a minute till kickoff or you got right. a minute till the team runs out into the tunnel. What you telling that team? You know, I'm, I'm just I'm gonna I'm going to, to turn on just doing this.
1: Can y'all hear that? Can y'all hear that? I said, and I'ma keep doing it till they start doing it. Until it gets louder and louder. I said, listen, man, I'm gonna say one team, one fight. One team, one fight. One team. One fight. I'm going to say, look, and then once they get, I'm going to say, listen, man, I'm going to say, listen, this is a hell of a school. That's a hell of a fan base. That's a hell of a coach. That's a hell of a coaching staff. Y'all are a hell of a team, man. They need to know what hell feels like. Let's go give them hell. And, and, and that's it. Because, because the thing about it is, Dave, I said, look, man, y'all heard it all, right? Y'all heard it all. I said, but look, man, the University of Florida, this is it. There is nothing outside of this. There is no, I I went here because this was the best that college football had to offer. I didn't go here because I couldn't go there. No, they went there because I came here. They had to choose this because I choose this. So I just think that I would tell them, at the end of the day, fellas, you always play for something bigger. One team, one fight. One team, one fight. And as long as it's about the team, it's going to be hard to beat us. It's going to be hard to beat us. A great man once said, "And what you're looking at is what you see. Boy, you better see us out there dominating. You better see us out there making plays. You better see us out there getting first downs, moving the chains. If you're on defense, you better bring the fight to them. Like I said, this is a hell of a team. That's a hell of a fan base. This is a hell of a school. That's a hell of a coach. That's a hell of a coach and staff. They need to know what hell feels like. Give them hell.
2: Here come the Gators. <laughs> <laughs> yes, gators. Yeah. All right. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ben. One more time, man. Pre order Ben Troop at 84.com. You can pre order Uncommon and Unfinished the Ben Troop Story. Ben, can't thank you enough, man. One more time, plug that book, what it's about, what Gator fans can expect.
1: Man, I'm coming to Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. It's about a young man uh, trying to figure out who he is outside of football, embracing fatherhood, going from the game of football to regular life, trying to, trying to build a relationship between him and his father, just going through the ups and downs of life, but loving every minute of it, really, really thinking and, and appreciating those coaches and players, not really understanding what certain players are trying to show him until after he walked away from the game of football, but, but, but not making any excuses, not cheating the game, not cheating life, understanding that life is for the living, and, you know, and I'm fighting for that dash, man. When you look at it, when you look at a freaking um, – when you look at any tombstone, you got, a, you got a date on the left, you got a date on the right, you got a dash in the middle. I'm fighting for that dash in the middle. So my story is just a lot of people's stories encompass, you know, in mine. So for my mom, dad, sisters and brothers, children, nieces, nephews, friends, cousins, teammates, op- opponents – this is all of us, and hopefully, man. Like I said, man, everybody has a story, and this is mine. But hopefully, you will see a lot of yourself in my story. It is called Uncoming Unfinished: The Band True Story with BJ Ben. And make sure to go to bandtrue 84com and I will be and I will be uh, autographing every single one that go that gets bought from bandtrue 84com You can also uh, find it everywhere uh, books are sold. And uh, like I said, David, man, I appreciate everything you do for me, man, allowing me to be on your platform. But this is just adding to my portfolio. I, and the best way to sum it up is this. Most people know me as Ben Troop. You get to find out and learn about Benjamin when you read my story.
2: Ben Troop, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. All right. There we go. Ben Troop story. Bringing in Will Miles here. Will, uh, you pumped up, ready to go?
0: I think it's time for some football, buddy. I was about to run. I was about to run through my door over there after hearing his motivational speech to start with. I'm like, Grantham's got some shoes to fill. If if that's the uh, if if that's the story, he's going to come in and tell those defensive players.
2: All right, Will Miles. Everybody that told you he'd be coming in after the uh, Ben Troop interview here made it made it made it uh, uh, right after this. Uh, So Will came in at the perfect time. I got to hear uh, all all the football side of, uh, of Ben's talk there. A lot of tight end talk will uh but man i was just gonna say just just ending that right there i mean I, I was ready to run through a wall i was ready to run out of the tunnel if i can uh you know maybe maybe i can find a way I, i'll send that to the team and uh, we can get the, we can get the team ready to go next week
0: man we need to do that that thing in the stands before uh before kickoff man just get everybody yeah. in the swamp doing that before the first kickoff that'd be pretty cool but uh nah, i mean obviously uh Uh, motivational speaking is the right place for Mr. Troop to be. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to reading this book.
2: Yeah, 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 me too, me too. Uh, Good stuff. Glad he's got that going on out there. Uh, Former Gator out there, had a lot of success, uh, what is one Ben Troop. I loved him as a player, loved loved, uh, what he brought to the table at the tight end position. And, look, we've seen tight ends all throughout the years at the University of Florida. The best to ever do it, Uh, last year in one Kyle Pitts, Big transition, Will. We've talked about that transition uh, a whole lot. A lot of it's going to rely on Kamori Gamble, Keon Zipperer, uh, those two guys leading the charge. True freshman Nick Elksness, Jonathan Odom, as well out there uh, with a little bit more uh, experience, but two young guys there that you probably are looking at making some moves too this year. Uh, so, but just uh, um, you know, some depth in that tight end room, uh, but uh, maybe some similarities there uh, for one Keon Zipperer, you know, and maybe trying to to you know not necessarily uh, come in as a true freshman and make an instant impact, but. When the big superstar leaves, it's your turn to step up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You look at Troop's career, I think it actually kind of uh, tracks a little bit with what we may have seen from Keon Zipper this year, or so or over the past couple of years. So Troop started out in 2000, had one reception for 22 yards. In 2001, nine receptions for 98. Um, in 2002, 15 for 200, so averaging 13.3 yards per catch. And then in 2003 was when he really sort of hit it big. 39 catches for 638 yards, 16.4 per catch. If you look at Zipper and his freshman year, starts out three for 31. So, you know, just a little cup of coffee. Then in 2020, 11 for 145, averaged 13.2 uh, yards per catch, with, which really compares pretty favorably to 2002 for Troop. Um, and considering that he had Kyle Pitts in front of him, granted Pitts missed a couple of games, I think that's pretty significant. So you're sort of, you know, the question is, in 2002, you had Aaron Walker playing tight end for for Florida. He leaves, and then Troop steps up in 2003. So in 2020, Florida's got Kyle Pitts there at tight end, and now you've got Zipper, who's really shown the ability at least to, to get open and not only shown the ability, but one of the things I think when we talked about receivers earlier this year, one of the things I was really looking at was catches per target. And so Zipper had 11 catches last year, but he was only targeted 15 times. You compare that to Kamari Gamble, he had 10 receptions for 160 yards. So actually a little bit more explosive, but he had 24 targets. And so I think Zipper with limited reps, limited targets was able to make the most of it last year. And as those targets go up this year, I think you're really going to see him as a threat the passing game.
2: Yeah, no, I'm more interested, you know, also just kind of him moving around that H-back role, too, you know, being the lead blocker, being a full, quote-unquote, fullback at times, too, uh, and helping this run game. I mean, uh, you're a two-tight end set, he motions into the backfield to, to give an extra blocker there in the interior of the offensive line. I think that's something else that could bring to the table. Gamble as well. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of the. Uh, tight end, H-back, and I know Ben called it a, 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 a tight end, I think a utility tight end. I mean, you're going to see a lot of these guys in, in this tight end role be pretty versatile, I think, in this offense, uh, the, this run approach offense, and, and moving those guys all over the formation to help block and you know, to get them open in, in some of those looks as well.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Gamble, I think, clearly was the best blocker last year out of anybody, even if you factored in pits, right? So when you went to two tight end sets, Gamble was usually the direction you were going to try to run the ball. Obviously, Florida didn't run the ball very well last year, so you didn't really get to see that skill set. But I think you're going to get to see it a lot more this year, right? And so, you know, if you've got Gamble and you've got Zipper on the field, the question is going to be, for Zipper and for Alex Ness, is going to be how good of a blocker are they? Because if you can force the defense to bring in linebackers because you're a good because you're a good blocker and because you're a, an asset in the running game, then all of a sudden you can do the things that Florida did with Pitts. And you don't necessarily have to be as gifted as Pitts, but if you split somebody out wide one on one against a linebacker, the tight end should win that battle. I mean, we've heard all camp long that Elksness hasn't really been able to be guarded. Zipper showed last year he has the ability to be the linebacker. So that's the thing you're looking for. And that, I think, is really what made Pitts. I mean, Pitts was really good in 2019. But he was, he was unguardable in 2020. And and I really do think that a big part of him being unguardable was that they at least had to take him seriously as a blocker. And so you got to figure out, am I going to bring in a safety? Am I going to bring in a linebacker? Am I going to guard him with a corner? And the problem is, is nobody really had anybody who was skilled enough to be able to guard him no matter what. That's not necessarily going to be the case with Zipper and Gamble. I don't think that they're as physically gifted as, as Kyle Pitts is. But at the same time, if you can get that linebacker on the field because you're a better blocker than Pitts was, then all of a sudden you get a favorable one on one matchup. And, you know, Florida's going to do that, I'm sure, a lot this year, not just at the tight end position, but at the running back position as well, making sure that they try to get those advantageous uh, matchups. A couple years ago, they really split out Michael P. Ryan a lot with Kyle Pitts, mm-hmm. sort of in the same, you know, they would start with them in tight and then they would motion him out. Saw that a lot in the LSU game when they got into the shootout against Joe Burrow. If they have the ability to do that this year, where maybe you have Malik Davis split it out with with Keon Zipper or something like that all of a sudden you're going to get some matchups but it all starts from the tight end being able to block especially you know obviously Kyle Pitts being a huge physical match mismatches is means that his blocking didn't have to be great but if Zipper and Gamble can be excellent blockers then that opens up a lot when it comes to the passing game.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, how this tight end position figure, uh, figures into this offense with the uh, the ability to run the ball, the, the quarterbacks as well, getting a lot of one on one coverage because of their blocking ability. And if the run game's successful, you're going to have to leave them one on one. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see how they uh, how they come along in the passing game uh, and being on the field much more because they can block as well. So uh, we'll just get to uh, another theme of this episode, the ESPN-FPI. I've been meaning to get into it. I know it's uh, – the ESPN-FPI is very polarizing. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Um, anyway, yeah, I think you have to kind of just discuss it anyway. The the name ESPN and college football, look, they, they, they go hand in hand. Uh, and whether – We like to acknowledge ESPN and what they put out there or not. There's still a huge force in college football, and you can best bet the college football playoff committee puts a lot of stock in what ESPN puts out there, this FPI being one metric out there that is heavily looked at, I believe, by the college football playoff committee. So I think it's worth discussing uh, in, in some form or fashion there, just the stranglehold ESPN has in the world of college football. So with the FBI, will Florida's number eleven in the FBI? So much, not well, not much, just a bit higher than a lot of the polls out there. Right outside the top ten, uh, there uh, are the uh, ESPN FBI. And let me get back up to the rankings. I said Florida was eleven. Um, it's you know the and mostly every poll out there pretty much the same. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia five, Texas A and M six. Now, this is where, as I said, it kind of gets out of there uh, just a little bit for me. Texas, number seven. I mean, really? I mean, what, what in the world? is? It? I mean, look, they had to redo the FBI to begin with because they had Mississippi State in the top ten originally. So that was uh, a slap in the face. They actually realized it uh, and, and did fix it. But then how in what world do you have Texas, number seven, Notre Dame, eight, Iowa State, nine, Miami, number ten. So there you go. Uh, you know, take that. But for for what it's worth, uh, a lot of it there uh, just because of being in the ACC, not a lot of competition uh, there. They do give Miami still a less than one percent chance to make national championships or to win a national championship playoff chance of six percent. So I guess being in the ACC gives you uh, that uh, percentage, that uh, chance. So as I said, Miami. There at number ten, the Big Twelve re- 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 well represented there uh, in the ESPN FPI. But Florida was eleven, Oregon twelve, Penn State thirteen, North Carolina fourteen. Uh, FPI doesn't like North Carolina as much as the pollsters do. Auburn, new coach Brian Harson comes in at fifteen in the FPI. TCU, Wisconsin, LSU at eighteen, Oklahoma State nineteen. We'll end it here at twenty with Ole Miss at twenty. Well, the reason I wanted to bring this up is they um further down on the FPI, they gave their top fifteen most impactful games on the college football playoff race. Florida. Two games in the top six, Will, for most impactful games on the college football playoff race. And you'll what's once they have Alabama at the, near the top, once they have Georgia at number five, Florida at number eleven, well. You got to think there's going to be some impactful games there in the college football playoff race. Will, number four, the, the fourth most impactful game in the college football playoff race, Florida and Georgia. They're at number four and then sixth most impactful game in the college football playoff race, Florida and Alabama. So while Florida may not be a trendy college football pick like they were last year, there, ESPN and the FBI is giving Florida a lot of love for, you know, some impact games that will shape college football and the college football playoff race.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's always the case in the SEC, right? If you look at the most impactful games. I think they kind of pretend that the PAC 12 might have some impact and put that, you know, give one PAC 12 game or one cross conference game or something like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, who are you really competing with? It's Notre Dame, Alabama or Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio state, maybe Texas or Oklahoma. Other than that, you know that one or two playoff teams coming from the SEC, which means how the SEC shakes out is going to be the, the impactful games. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you look at the overall FPI, Florida is really less. So if you look, they've actually got win percentages in the FPI for Florida's entire schedule. And if you go down and actually multiply all those win percentages together, they have Florida at a point zero zero nine percent chance of running the table. But you get up to 20% to them going nine and three and 10% for them going 10 and two. And so the most likely scenario is really in that nine and three, 10 and two range. And that's a very good team. They've got them. They got them at 25% chance of beating Alabama, 38% chance of beating Georgia. Obviously we'd like to have those numbers flipped at the same time. 37% percent—that's four out of 10, right? I mean, so, you know, I, I, it's not a toss up at least not in the FBI's eyes. but it's, it's, you know, Florida is not going into that game being a three-touchdown underdog, at least not from a preseason perspective. And so, yeah, the Gators are a good team. The question is always, can they be elite and can they put it all together at one time? And can they do it consistently year to year? It's not a question of can they be good. Um, you know, It's not a question of can they be elite one year. It's can they be elite every year. So they had an elite offense. Are they going to be able to replicate that? They had a really bad defense last year. Are they going to be able to fix that? I think they probably have an opportunity to. And and as far as the FBI is concerned, the thing that I think it's useful for is that they don't just list the top 20 teams. They actually list all of the teams. So when you want to do some comparisons and things like that, you can't use the AP 25, you know, the, the AP right. poll for doing comparisons because you don't know who is ranked 26th through 100th. At that, you know, so I don't like the way the FBI does things either. But one of the things that it really it does have good utility for is to understand, you know, if a coach has a team like like a coach like Gene Chiswick, who had teams that were, you know, winning the national championship but then had teams that were really, really bad, you can sort of see that ping pong back and forth and look at a coach's performance. Um, that, that I think, is one of the biggest utilities for the FPI. Obviously, ESPN's a big player here. But ESPN also has a bias, right, because they, they have TV contracts. They have things that drive ratings and all those sorts of things. And so not a surprise that they would put SEC games up mm-hmm. at the top of the uh, – up at the top of the, the list, especially considering that the SEC drives, drives eyeballs, drives TV ratings and really drives college football at this point.
2: Well, so to go along with your point there and how strong is it is in the SEC, Alabama, Texas A&M, the most impactful game in the college football playoff race, Georgia Clemson, number two. So you have three different SEC teams right there in the top two games. Oklahoma, Texas is the third most important game. Florida, Georgia was four Iowa state, Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida, and then Penn State versus Ohio State. You don't get your first Pac-12 team until Oregon versus Ohio State, uh, and then Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Uh, you know they're kind of that's your ninth most important game. Texas, Iowa State is the tenth most important game in the uh, impactful game in the college football playoff race, according, according to ESPN FPI. Will you mentioned the percentages there? And yeah, we should, we'll go through those. And you've kind of mentioned the top two there already. Alabama, uh, you know, of course, Florida's um, Florida's top um, top toughest opponent there. Twenty four point eight, basically twenty five percent chance uh, FPI gives of uh, Florida beating Alabama. You mentioned thirty seven point six there versus Georgia, a chance. And then LSU, they have LSU is the third toughest game on Florida's schedule. And gives Florida a fifty-two point eight percent chance of beating LSU. So, if you go by percentages and just how it will play out, ESPN has Florida barely a uh, ten and two team losing to Florida or losing to Alabama, losing to Georgia, uh, and then uh, LSU, the third third uh, toughest, Kentucky, the fourth toughest ranked opponent according to the FPI, and gives Florida a sixty-seven point six percent chance of beating Kentucky a 70.6% chance of beating Missouri. That's Florida's fifth toughest opponent. South Carolina, the Florida's sixth toughest opponent at 77.9, basically a 78% chance of beating South Carolina. Florida State, <laughs> Florida has a 82% chance, basically, of beating Florida State, according to the FP- ESPN FBI. And then going through here, we'll go through Tennessee, 84% chance of beating them. South Florida, basically a 90% chance. Florida Atlantic, ninety-three Vanderbilt, ninety-seven and Samford, basically a hundred percent chance of beating them. So that's how the FBI breaks out Florida's schedule. Will we? You know, you and I have we haven't really got to dive into the schedule talk a whole lot between between you and between me and you uh, here on Gators Breakdown. And if if you know they have Florida Georgia, the fourth most impactful game on a college football playoff race. That game is not going to be the most, is fourth most impactful game on the college football playoff race if Florida doesn't beat LSU. I mean, if, I mean, if you think the schedule goes like many people think it will, you pencil in a loss to Alabama. You have LSU two weeks before Georgia. So those games are back-to-back, but there is a bye week in between. You can't lose to Alabama. You can't lose to LSU going into Jacksonville. You know, that LSU game is a linchpin for the 2021 season, you know, it, it can teeter the season going either way. You, you you can't have a chance, probably can't have a chance of winning the East. If you take a loss to LSU two weeks before Georgia, if you, you know, if you, if, if you lose to Alabama, but beat LSU, you still have everything to play for when you go to that game in Jacksonville. So two weeks before Georgia, you play LSU, you got that bye week in there. I mean, that can, that, that could teeter the season either way there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually a little bit surprised that they have Florida as the favorite, right? It's 53%, so it's not as though it's an overwhelming favorite, but they have Florida as the favorite on the road in Baton Rouge. I would have kind of expected them to have thought maybe Florida might drop that one. The other thing is, is that the next closest, I think, is Kentucky, right? It's 68%, where Florida's favored essentially 2-1 to one in that particular tilt, which means Florida's going to be heavily, heavily favored in every other game this year other than those three, right? It's going to be basically a pick em against LSU, Georgia will probably be favored by about a touchdown. Then I would assume Alabama is going to be favored by a couple of touchdowns based on these ratings. And, and yeah, I mean, if, if I, I guess it depends, right? So you can, you could lose a close game to LSU. You could, or I'm sorry, you could lose a close game to Alabama. You could lose a close game to LSU. You could beat Georgia and then you could maybe avenge the loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I think that would be a team that still makes it to the playoff. Um, I I think there's an opportunity to lose twice. It's just going to have to be close. You're going to have to look impressive. You know, Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson is going to have to maybe struggle early on and then become the player that we hope they can be later on in the year. There are paths there. The other thing is, is when they're talking about it being the most impactful. It's not as though it's not as though Georgia doesn't have a shot at the national title or at the playoff as well. And so, Florida, even even a two loss Florida team, can come in and still be a formidable opponent for the Bulldogs. And if they pull off the upset in that case, which would be an upset, obviously, if Georgia's coming into that game undefeated, if they pull off the upset, then that sort of upsets the apple cart for the for the playoff as well, because then you've got a team that has the capacity to potentially make it to Atlanta over Georgia even though, I mean, obviously Georgia would have to lose again, but they they have the tiebreaker over Georgia if they're able to get to Atlanta. I don't think you can put a Georgia team into the playoff if they didn't win the East. I think Alabama sort of gets that benefit because they're in the West. I don't think Georgia's going to get that benefit in the East if Florida's able to take them out. So, uh, you know, yes, for Florida's playoff potential, it makes a huge difference whether they've been able to beat Alabama, whether they've been able to beat LSU coming in. But but I think Georgia likely is going to come into that game undefeated. And so, you know, it's a huge rivalry game. And it's a game where again the FBI has Florida, you know, four and ten times being able to take out the dogs. And if they're able to do that, then that's certainly going to have an impact on the playoff race.
2: Yeah, so there's a preview of the ESPN FPI as we head into the season uh, next week. Well, we got a, a little bit of bad news, breaking news in the recruiting world. Walter Nolan just released his top three. Florida is no longer in his top three uh, there for the five-star defensive lineman, where Florida was pretty much leading for at one point. Uh, so Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Georgia are his top three now. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else we can say, honestly. I mean, you know, we've, we've beat the recruiting drum for as much as we can beat it. Uh, it, it is what it is uh, at this point. does stink to, to, to see that. Uh, it hasn't been trending the right way the last month or so. Anyway, Tennessee has really come on. Uh, and his family moved right outside of Knoxville, uh, connection there. Georgia's kind of now just come out of nowhere with this. Texas a and has been involved ever since he's visited there. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, the all-too-often story uh, we hear too often with these, uh, uh, the, these top five-star, uh, the, these players out there that Florida's going after.
0: Yeah, I mean it's disappointing, right? I mean, obviously he has good visits, things were trending well with Florida. But that's sort of the story of Florida recruiting really over the last decade now at this point, which is that, you know, they they get into the they're in the mix for all of these guys, but haven't necessarily been able to sign enough of them on, on the top tier. And, you know, I think I looked last week and maybe things have changed a little bit because there have been some re-rankings and, and Alabama's probably signed two more guys. But um, as of last week, Alabama had like eight guys who were ranked higher than Florida in the 24-7 sports than than Florida's highest ranked recruit. And and therein lies the issue, right? It's It's not a matter of, okay – No, I would never, I never panic over one commit. You know, Mm -hmm. Nolan decides to go someplace else. That's great. And, you know, good for him. He's going to play where he wants. And and that's fantastic. At the same time, who are the two, three, four guys behind him that you're bringing in who are of similar or better quality? I guess not better. He's like ranked second overall. But, you know, who are the guys you're bringing in who are ranked 18th, who are ranked 25th, who are ranked 56th? You build a team with that, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be the second-ranked recruit. The question becomes when you miss out on the second-ranked recruit, who do you have behind them? And and at this point, it looks like Florida's going to struggle to bring in those top 100 guys, particularly in this cycle. They've certainly struggled with that before. But, again, we've been talking about this for a while. The expectations that recruiting is going to get considerably better – in year four or really the fifth cycle under Mullen, I think it's an unrealistic expectation. So I don't, I mean, I'm disappointed that Nolan has decided he doesn't want to come to Florida. At the same time, I'm not surprised by it. And I didn't have these high expectations. I think the recruiting class is going to end up right around where the recruiting classes ended up for the last four or five years, right around that 90 player ranking and, you know, somewhere between eighth to 15th in the overall rankings. And, and what we have, what Mullen has essentially done is said, I think my evaluations
2: are better than those recruiting rankings and we'll, we'll see if he's right. Yeah. But even on that, even, even on that story, you know, this is a the kid they wanted. I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, can sit hit sit here and say, all he wants to, well, you know, nobody, nobody asked my, about my evaluations. Well, I mean, you had this kid on campus and you had him on official visits. so we know you wanted him uh, when, when you're working on that. but uh, just okay, look, it, 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 it is the same story year after year. Uh, it is what it is. There's no sense and you know uh, until it changes until we maybe see more of a concerted effort and then it not pay off, we can sit there and complain a little bit more. But at this point, it is what it is right now. Hopefully Evan Stewart uh, is the next big name on the uh, on, on the board that that, that comes farther way. Uh, really trending there. I'd pick Florida right now if he's to make a decision, but uh, I would have picked two months ago. I'd have picked Walter Nolan to pick Florida as well. So, you know, we, we have to see where this thing goes. Yeah, I mean the
0: lesson is, is it doesn't matter till the guy signs on the bottom line, and yep. those those signings are happening earlier now, right? Because of the December deadline and 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 the way things go. I mean, really, signing day in February has kind of become just an anticlimactic thing because everybody's signing in December for for the early signing day, and and yeah, I mean, I, I think look, I'm I'm excited about Evan Stewart. I think. I think at the end of the day, when you look at, like let's say, Urban Meyer's 2006 class where he brings in Tebow and he brings in Percy Harvin, Harvin, those are game-changing recruits. And we haven't had any of those guys at least – through normal high school recruiting at the same time obviously the the argument for Mullen has been that he's been able to bring in those sorts of guys through the transfer portal we're going to see what those guys can do this year right I mean we got DeMarcus Bowman we got Lorenzo Lingard we got Justin Shorter those are guys that they brought in who were high school five stars that they're bringing it through the transfer portal it also sounds like so one of my big concerns with the transfer portal was that it's it was that it, it harms your initial counters, right? It harms your ability to sign guys out of high school, but they're actually not, they're going to allow, it sounds like people who have guys transfer out and you'll be able to replace them one for one. And all of a sudden, some of the concerns that I've had with the transfer portal are starting to go away. I think there's some, you can make an argument. The transfer portal is, is a, better not a better but is at least a valid way to build a program if they're going to have those sorts of rules in a way that you couldn't have six or nine months ago the other thing is is last year i think florida's roster ranked seventh overall in talent and it's actually going to get have a better talent profile this year because the guys who left were McIlwain's last recruiting class and and some guys from uh from Mullen's first recruiting class, but at the end of the day, the talent profile of Florida is probably going to be better than it was last year. They have the seventh most talented team in the country, And based on 24-7's rankings, and they never placed higher than ninth in any of Mullen's recruiting classes and ranked as low as 14th. So what that says is that he's been bringing in talent through the transfer portal. I also do think it says that he's retaining the guys who are highly talented, and what that means is he's hitting on them at a pretty high rate, right? That a guy like Kyle Pitts was ranked like 140th or 150th. Those guys only make it to the NFL 20 to 25% of the time, highest ranked tight end ever, right? So you start hitting on those guys who are in the 120, 140 range. They stay at your program for three years. They become major contributors. And not only do you have a talented roster, but it's the talented guys who are performing for you. I think there is some silver lining when you start looking at the transfer portal, but obviously, um, you know, we've been harping on it for years now. Recruiting needs to get better at the high school level, but until we see it, I think this is sort of the expectation is just just could be Groundhog Day every every December and every February.
2: Yeah, no sense in getting all up in arms about it all, all the time. I mean, we've, we've said our piece. we said it over and over again for years. It, it, it kind of just, you know, it is what it is. It needs to stay right there until you know, until something changes uh, there. So, all right, we'll, uh, let's get into uh, you know, a hot topic in Gator Nation the last few days, especially after another good scrimmage from Anthony Richardson. You put out an article even before the second scrimmage, uh, and another scrimmage that Anthony Richardson played well in, uh, and you titled it, of course. You know, is Anthony Richardson? <clears throat> sorry, is Anthony Richardson ready to start for Florida? And look, that's not to start a quarterback controversy. You know, there's a, there's many ways to look at this. Uh, for you know, for for you know, if he's ready, and mainly it is because of talk out there uh, of, of of him pushing and playing really well in fall camp. But there's multiple ways to look at: is he ready to start?
0: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> we didn't start this controversy. Mullen right. started this controversy. He's <laughs> the guy who keeps bringing him up, and and right. you know brought him up unprompted in SEC media days. Has brought him up after each scrimmage. In fact, I think after the first scrimmage, was sort of surprised nobody asked about it and made a yeah. point to bring him up. You know, if you're going to do now, that, okay, then you'll
2: give Mullen credit for the second scrimmage. He was asked this time about <laughs> Richardson, but in that regard, I don't think Emory Jones was brought up one time in the post in Monday's presser. In, uh, in talking about the scrimmage.
0: I think that's a mistake. I, that is one of the things I'm going to be looking at in the next week or before the before the start of the season, obviously, is is looking at Emory Jones and some of his film because I think there's a lot of stuff to be excited about with him too. The problem is, is that when you have very limited film from Anthony Richardson and that film is him, I think he threw an interception against Arkansas, but then he threw two passes or went back to throw two passes against uh, against uh, Oklahoma, one for a touchdown and then one turned into an explosive run. So that the, the guy goes back to pass twice and has two explosive plays plays against the Sooners in a game where Florida couldn't move the ball at all, really. And I get it why people are excited. But one of the things in the article, and one of the things I think is significant, is when you actually go back and look at those plays, there are some things that he was missing when he went back. He missed a wide open running back when he dropped back on his first pass. And yeah, he turned it into a 30-yard run. That's great. Obviously, you have the ability to do that. At the same time, to consistently win in the SEC, you're going to have to dump it off to your running back when you've got a running back who's wide open. In fact, I think even with Richardson, you'd rather have Lorenzo Lingard running down the field than, than Anthony Richardson. And then there, were the, on the one where he threw the touchdown down the middle of the field, the safeties had vacated the middle of the field pretty early. I thought he was a little bit late getting that ball out. Again, this is I'm being critical of a true freshman who had zero time to prepare for Oklahoma, and you know probably didn't even think he was going to get in the game because you already had Kyle Trask in his last game, and then you know, you've got Emory Jones coming in to play the bulk of it. So how many snaps did he actually get in like the day and a half of practice they
2: had in between? So quarterback in a COVID year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think these things are all reasonable. I think when you look at it, you get excited, right? You get excited about the arm strength. You get excited about, um, about his ability to run, but some of those things we should be excited about Emory Jones with, and, and, and I am a little bit, Surprised at how quickly people have latched onto to Anthony Richardson. At the same time, like I said, I mean, Mullen has been one of the guys who who sort of fed that. And you know, I'm a big fan of high school statistics. And if you go back, especially completion percentage and then yards per attempt, sort of sort of tacked onto that. And Richardson in his freshman, sophomore, and junior seasons was right around 50 percent completion percentage and somewhere in between seven and eight yards per yards per attempt. That's not very good. Um, but then his senior year, which ended early because of injury, he only played six games, then he had 65% completion, 11.3 yards per attempt. So which guy are we getting, right? Did, did, did a did a light switch on and all of a sudden things slowed down for him and that's why he was so successful his senior year? Or is it because it was a six-game sample size, it was small, and somebody who's in that 50 to 55% completion range is something that we we're going we're to come to expect? Based on what we're hearing from Camp, it sounds like the light kind of switched on and and that under under Mullen's tutelage, he's gonna be a star. And to be honest, that is sort of to me the goal of the of the 2021 season is to identify who your star quarterback is. Because, you know, we just had a we just had a bit there where we were talking about recruiting, and we all know like guys like Cam Newton can help you overcome recruiting deficiencies in certain areas, right? That that Auburn doesn't beat Alabama that year without Cam Newton. And sometimes you just need a guy who can put you on your shoulders if you're less talented, who can put the team on his shoulders if it's a less talented team. Newton was able to do that. Even I would say Burrow was able to do that in 2019. Obviously, that LSU offense was great, but the defense wasn't all all that great. That Alabama game, Alabama kept coming back and back and back, and Burrow just kept sticking the stake right in their heart. So if Richardson's that kind of guy then, I mean, I think Mullen has to figure out what he's got and get him some experience this year, regardless of whether Emory Jones is playing well. I think they're they're still going to have to figure out who's the star because that's the way you win consistently.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much, Junior you know, Richardson developed in between 2020, 2021, uh, and how fast that development gets in the, in the ceiling for uh, his development uh, there. I think it can be, uh, you know, like I know uh, talking to his quarterback coach here in Jacksonville, Denny Thompson, uh, I mean, of course, he's going to be high on him. He's his kid, but he's he has stood behind that. Hey, he's he's going to be ready, and you know, and don't don't be surprised if it's 2021. I mean, I mean he's uh, if he's out there and he's looking good and he's developed at a at a high and fast rate. So uh, that uh, is welcome news there. Uh, as like I said, I think he's ultimately going to be a special quarterback for Florida. Is that in 2021? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 to me right now, it is all just guessing at this point in the season, this point of you know, hearing about scrimmages, not getting to see it myself for being, you know, it's also a lot of still secondhand information, still a lot. We don't know what's going into the scrimmages, but it is welcome news that uh, from what I see, Will, two quarterbacks doing pretty good.
0: Yeah, and their skill sets are similar. I know Mullen said that at his presser, I think it was last week, where he was talking about that they each have similar skill sets, so the offense doesn't change when you go from one guy to the next. And when you have an offense that's going to be centered more on a quarterback running the ball, you know, it's much more likely that that quarterback is going to get dinged for a game or two, right? I mean, it's not necessarily that you're opening the guy up to, to massive catastrophic injuries when you run him. It's that, you know, the quarterback gets hit just a little bit of the wrong way or lands a little bit of the wrong way on his right shoulder and all of a sudden you got a guy who doesn't have doesn't have the zip on the ball and you need to bring somebody in for a game or two. And you know, I think that's going to be a big part of the season is is at some point along the way. And we saw this a couple years ago, right? Franks goes down, Trask is ready. Trask goes down in that Auburn game and Emory Jones was ready. And I think that's one of the things that Mullen's really trying to emphasize is that he's going to need two quarterbacks this year. He's going to need two guys who are ready. The idea that Emory Jones is going to make it all the way through the year without getting dinged or without having to come out for a series or two because of something obviously we hope nothing catastrophic happens and you know he's he's an athletic guy so i think he's gonna be able to protect himself but you know in the sec you get hurt and you you, there's a you know you play through pain as best you can but sometimes you just can't right i mean somebody rolls him up and all of a sudden he's got an ankle sprain and you're gonna need somebody who can step in there so i think a big part of this is getting anthony richardson prepared like he's going to be the starter because you might need him at some point along the year you know if, if something happens to emory jones
2: I mean just just remember Emery against Auburn, Trav goes down. What if Emory throws a pick six in that situation? You know, but he was ready. He was ready to go and, and led Florida to a field goal in a very tight game right before halftime uh there. I mean, you know, you throw a pick six in that situation and the game goes the other way. So luckily you had two quarterbacks ready to go uh and contribute into a win if you didn't have your if you don't have your backup quarterback, and as you go into your point, even if Emory Jones not out for an extended period of time. If he's only out for a couple of drives but it's still a close game and you need some plays to be made through the air or some somewhat somebody you can trust not to turn the ball over that comes into play as well.
0: Well, but, the other thing I think we need to remember is that Mullen trusted Emery enough to put him in the game against Georgia in 2018. He trusted him enough to to put him in and let him throw the ball in that Auburn game. They trusted him enough in the LSU game that year, even though they lost and and fans didn't like it very much. They brought him in for a couple of series there in the second half and let them be his series, right? It wasn't like, I mean, he came down and did some red zone stuff in the first half, but, but he had a couple of series that were his and his alone. And they went away from that a little bit last year where they didn't have like specific Emory Jones packages. I think some of that had to do with, uh, with COVID, but I think some of it had to do with the fact that Kyle Trask was so good, and so Mullen's shown some trust in Emory Jones over over the last couple of years to do at least certain things within the offense to have specific packages, and wasn't really shy about putting him in there when Florida was playing the big boys. Right, it's one thing to have an Emory package when you're up 30, 35 to three against Tennessee. It's one thing to have an Emory package when you're playing Colorado State. It's a very different thing to have an Emory package when he's a true freshman against Georgia. Um, you know, coming off a bye week, George is kind of expecting it. And they, they brought him in there and he was throwing downfield, right? They got a pass interference on a ball that he threw down the sideline that was really a nice throw that if there hadn't been the interference, might have been a touchdown. Everybody would really be looking at that one and saying, wow, look at that. And even when you look at the Oklahoma film, there are a couple of balls that were dropped by Shorter in that game, particularly one deep one, I think, down the right sideline that I'm remembering. And, uh, you know, it wasn't as though he, his stat line didn't look great, but in the first half when the game was still sort of in the balance, Emory Jones wasn't a reason why Florida was behind. In fact, Kyle Trask was the reason that Florida was behind, along with sort of a sieve of a defense. Defense got him back in the game, and then Oklahoma blew the doors off with like three or four minutes left. But So I, I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest Emory Jones can play and play well. But it's awesome if what we're seeing in camp is that Anthony Richardson can play. And if Richardson's the better player, I mean, you know, you, you can't talk about competition. You can't talk about, well, you know, we're going um, you know, to let the best guy play. And then if everybody sees it, go, well, because this guy's got seniority, we're going to put him in there. At some point, if it's obvious and obvious to everybody out there, you're going to have to make the change. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see whether it has to happen.
2: All right. We're miles him at readreaction.com. That's where you can go read uh, his Anthony Richardson article. Uh, as I said, there's some highlights in there. It's very detailed. You can see uh, what, what, how Will's, you know, trying to compare uh, what he saw there um, uh, with Richardson and in, in some certain plays there in a the bowl game uh, as well. So, all right, Will, um, you and Nick post some videos on YouTube as well. Now, uh, so everybody go out there and check. Uh, Stand up and holler.
0: Yeah, no, man. It's it's been fun. We got over the thousand subscriber mark last last week. And so, um, you know, we really appreciate everybody's support. But it's sort of a quick it's supposed to be quick. Sometimes it's not because I'm long winded, but it's supposed to be a quick format back and mm-hmm. forth, four different topics every week looking at looking at Florida football. And certainly as the season um, goes on, we're gonna start releasing those a little bit earlier in the week. Probably release them on Sunday after the games. Um, so go over there, subscribe, check it out, help us out. Appreciate it
2: out right there on YouTube as well. So plenty of YouTube video content coming your way from Gators Breakdown and reading reaction.com. Next time we get together, Will, it'll be game week, buddy.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Can we have Ben come back? Like can we have a you just need to like splice that video and that's how we let next week's episode end is, is is him doing the speech. No man, I'm I'm Jacked. It's it's been a long time, right? I mean, you had the you had the bull game against Oklahoma that was sort of weird, and then you had the early spring practice and you know, we haven't had much access to fall camp at all, and so you know, this is the first time we're gonna get to see him. And obviously it's gonna be going up against Clemson, Georgia. So I'll be hate watching. Watching on one TV sure. while uh, <laughs> while trying to figure out what's going on with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson on the other TV. But uh, best time of year, buddy! Best time of year.
2: Absolutely. Next week we get into our season predictions in our ever popular over under segment. Will so that'll be a whole lot of fun getting <laughs> back together. And hey, it'd be it'd be different this year. You know, more of a run approach for this offense. it It'd be interesting, the numbers we come up with and and where we land on the over and unders.
0: I will just suggest that based on historical data, you should take everything that I say and just bet the opposite in Vegas, and I think you'll be all right.
2: <laughs> Always fun when we get to do that and then look at it at the end of the year. So all right. That will be next week here on Gator's Breakdown. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readreaction.com. I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Dr. Girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gatorade Breakdown.